0: Welcome to the Ozone X podcast series. Ozone X is an early stage venture fund that invests in women, Black, and Latinx founders with bold and impactful missions. On this podcast, we hold conversations with purpose driven and inspiring leaders, creating solutions for the biggest challenges of our time. To stay connected to Ozone X and become part of a purpose driven community, please visit www.ozonex.vc. Backslash experts. Use code podcast2021 to waive all fees. In this episode, I, Jacques Philippe Pivelg, the co founder and managing partner of OzoneX, will have an inspiring conversation with Sir Ronald Cohen, a founder of the $50 billion Apex Partners chairman of the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment and the Portland Trust. We will glean from Sir Ronnie's expertise while also benefiting from dynamic real-time participation from global leaders, as we aim to solve for the $30 trillion gap between ESG and Impact Investing. I'm really excited to be here with you. Uh, We have our guest of honor, Sir Ronald Cohen. I like the ring of that, but he likes to go by Ronnie, so I'll do that today. And we're going to be discussing, you know, bridging the $30 trillion gap between ESG and impact investing. I'm Jacques-Philippe Pivelgier. I'll be moderating the session today. I'm a co-founder of Ozone Ventures. We back underrepresented founders, namely women and people of color and groups that have been largely marginalized from the venture capital flows. And we use tech and collective expert intelligence uh, with AI to be more thoughtful with our approach. If you wanna learn more, DM me and you know, feel free to join the Ozone X community. That's probably the most you're gonna hear from me because today's not about me. So we're gonna start off with a, a brief introduction of Ronnie. Ronnie's chairman of the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment and the Portland Trust. He's a co-founder and director of Social Finance UK, USA, and Israel, and co-founder and chair of Bridges Fund Management and Big Society Capital. He chaired the Social Impact Investment Task Force established under the UK's presidency of the G8 from 2013 to 15, the Social Investment Task Force from 2000 to 2010, the Commission on Unclaimed Assets from 05 to 07. He received the Rockefeller Foundation's Innovation Award for Innovation in Social Finance, co-founded and executive chairman of the $50 billion plus VC fund APEX Partners from 72 to 05, founder, director, and chairman of the British Venture Capital Association and the founder and director of the European Venture Capital Association, member of the board of deans, advisors at Harvard Business School, and a vice chair of Ben-Gurion, University, published several books, most recently, Impact, Reshaping Capitalism to Drive Real Change. I read it as soon as it came out, and I suggest others do the same. He lives in Tel Aviv, London, and New York with his wife of more than 30 years, Sharon, who is a film producer. They have two, two children, Tamara and Johnny. And I would say most importantly, Sir Ronnie is an incredibly thoughtful, heart-centered leader who hasn't allowed his success to limit his affinity for our global human community. I'm thrilled to welcome him to our conversation today. With that, Sir Ronnie, the floor is yours to uh, help set the stage and, and share your thoughts uh, with the folks in the room. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Jacques-Philippe. And uh, thank you
1: all for joining this conversation. I much uh, look forward to exchanging ideas um, with you. Uh, and. Uh, What I'd like to talk to you about is really a major change that is occurring in in the world as uh, we exchange views um, today. Uh, All of us are aware that uh, we cannot continue uh, to function in the way uh, the world is doing. Uh, We're creating huge
2: problems socially and environmentally, and we're unable to fix them every morning when we wake up, uh, we
1: discover some new challenges uh, has arisen. Uh, And uh, the uh, unfairness uh, of our system and the environmental risks uh, that our system is is, uh, creating are a real threat to our society and to our planet. Now, against uh, this uh, background, A lot of people have been changing the way they do things. Many of you no longer buy the products of certain companies because you don't believe in their values. Uh, Many of you will not work for certain companies because they're polluting the atmosphere or using child labor or creating um, uh, social problems of one kind or another. And investors are now very much aware of these changes in preferences and that they have implications for the value of the companies they hold. And so investors are now channeling $30 trillion uh, into environmental, social and governance um, investing, ESG as it's called and into impact investing, where like ESG, you have the intention to deliver impact as well as profit. Uh, but in the case of impact investment, you measure uh, that impact. Uh, impact investment proper is going to hit a trillion dollars this year. Now, when uh, we wrote the GA task force report, Six years ago, we had a chapter entitled The First Trillion. If you'd said to me then, uh, Ronnie, this is going to happen within six years, uh, I would have said, wow, that will be nothing short of miraculous. And it's happened in just six years. Now, a trillion is the same size as the world's venture capital pool. So we're talking real numbers here. So investors are channeling all this money into companies that... pollute less if they can find them into companies that bring solutions to our environmental challenges and our social um, challenges and in doing so they're reshaping our whole economic system because what they're beginning to cause now is a drop in the value of companies that do harm and you look at um, Some of the work that uh, has been done at Harvard Business School, which I'm this work, the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative. You can all go to the Harvard Business School site and look for IWA and access um, a data set. Uh, I chair that uh, that effort. The work we're doing there shows already a link between higher levels of pollution in many uh, business sectors Uh, and lower uh, stock market valuations. And what that in turn is doing is it is forcing regulators to begin to look at the impact information uh, that is available to investors. Now, this information's been made available in the form of tons of carbon dioxide put into the atmosphere, but it's only with the Harvard effort that uh, we have Turn to this information into dollars and cents. And you can see the figures for 1800 companies. And you begin to discover things that will make your minds boggle. 250 of the 1800 companies whose environmental damage is shown in the data set actually create more damage in the year in dollar terms than profit. A full 600 of them, a third of them, are creating damage equivalent to a quarter or more of their profit. And wait for it, taken together, the eighteen hundred create no less than $3 trillion worth of damage in a single year. So the point I'm making is that when you begin to measure the impacts of companies, and turn it into units that we all understand, you begin to give the tools to investors and to employees and to consumers like all of us to be able to make discriminating choices about where they shop and where they work and and where they invest. And this information isn't just around the environment, it's also around social impacts. So we're measuring the diversity in companies. We're measuring the number of people who should be at every level of an organization given the demographics around its facilities. And we're ascribing the remuneration levels they would have had. And that is a cost to that community. When you do that for Apple, you reduce its positive employment impact by $2.7 billion. That's the impact on its 80,000 U.S. employees. And if you do the same calculation for Costco, which employs twice as many people, uh, the charge is a billion dollars. So Costco is many times more diverse than Apple is. And soon we will be publishing the product impact of companies on people, and on the environment. And so what I'm saying to you today is our whole world is gonna shift from just making money to making money and have positive impact on people and planet. Now, that is gonna have very deep implications for all of you. As it begins to happen, over the next three to five years, in my view, meaning that uh, companies will be made to publish impact-weighted numbers, you're going to see more money going to support impact entrepreneurs, for example. If you're setting up a venture, if you're trying to solve a problem through a business model that enables you to to deliver more impact and make more money, at the same time. Investors are gonna be beating a path to your door. Consumers are gonna want to buy your products. And you're going to attract the best talent there is. Because what your generation wants today is a greater purpose than just making money. So the world is changing. It's changing in the way that um, I found it um, changing. Uh, changing when I was in my mid uh, 20s and created uh, one of the first venture capital firms, uh, Apex partners, it's changing again. And this time, it's not changing because of technology. It's changing because of impact. So Jacques Philippe, why don't I stop there and uh, engage in a conversation with you and all our friends uh, uh, at Clubhouse?
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much, Ronnie. I think you really helped uh, frame what we're looking to discuss here quite well. And you went right into it with respect to the gap between the ESG and impact investing. And we titled this conversation the bridging the $30 trillion gap. Recently, I saw a stat that suggested more than $40 trillion was earmarked for ESG investing in the last year. And so, when you're looking at the opportunity for folks to really get involved in impact, it's quite substantial. With that, I think maybe leaning in a bit more on the work you're doing with the impact weighting and counting uh, could go a long way. You know, since we first spoke about that, it's really been intriguing to me, and every time I get a chance, I share it with other folks. And maybe you can share with the group a bit more on the work you've done there and, and how we can expand it from your perspective. And the other thing I should mention is when I've talked about the progression of what will likely happen, I've thought kind of five to 10 years as the time frame where we'll see a lot of these changes and you've basically mentioned three to five years. And so a large part of what we're looking to do in this conversation is move that three to five years that might naturally occur to more like two to four years. right? So folks in the room, we want you thinking about strategies and approaches that could be applied to help expedite this process because it's so important um, to not only the financial markets in our pockets, but the planet as we know it. Uh, So yes, uh, Ronnie, if you could uh, jump in and provide a little bit more color around that, that'd be great. A couple of years ago, we started to look
1: at um, achieving what I've described, um, showing in the accounts of companies, uh, the impacts that they create on people and planet. We discovered that there's a ton of information on the environmental side, and actually also on the employment side, it turns out as our work progresses, which companies have made available, usually, voluntarily, under the general pressure uh, to disclose uh, information to their shareholders. But when you look at this information, Jacques Philippe, it's in tons of CO2, and it's in gallons of water. And you have therefore to create a path to what we call monetization, to turn it into dollar terms. And it turns out there's a ton of science around to calculate the cost of um, a a ton of CO2 uh, emissions. Uh, You know, the figure is around $300 uh, a ton. So you then begin to calculate for each one of these emissions, the dollar cost that is involved. And when you do that for environmental, and you begin to compare it with the profits of a company, you say to shareholders, this company may look like it's making a ton of money, but actually it's losing money if you take into account the environmental damage it's causing. And then you begin to compare competitors. So I don't like fossil fuel companies and I don't invest in them. But assume you want to keep investing in fossil fuel companies because you think fossil fuels are going to be around for a very long time. You look at ExxonMobil, Jacques Philippe. It creates $39 billion of damage from its operations alone without the damage from the oil that's taken out of the ground and used in cars and so on. You can compare that with Shell, which creates 23 billion. And you can compare it with BP, which creates 13. So, as an investor, if you want to invest in fossil fuels, are you going to invest in ExxonMobil, Jacques Philippe? Hell no. Why? Because you understand that ExxonMobil is going to get regulated or taxed, the talent isn't going to go to work for it. And even consumers may shift away from it to BP and shop. So you create a dynamic now where companies are competing on the basis of their impacts and not just on the basis of their profits. And there's a reason why uh, you see the value of ExxonMobil over the past three years fall from 500 billion on the stock market to 130 billion, investors are running away from it. And investors are gonna do the same for companies where there's no diversity, where there's gender inequality, where they're not paying a living wage to their workforce. Okay, so that dynamic can get translated into investment decisions. And it isn't uh, uh, surprising Uh, that investment changes the behavior of companies, right? Uh, Capital is the lifeblood of our economic system. If, uh, as we saw with uh, tech, uh, if investors run away from companies that don't know how to handle tech, uh, then they're gonna drop the value of these companies and increase the the value of, of the other companies they're going to. You can see that happening with Tesla. Tesla is worth more than General Motors today. Why? Because investors realize that that's the future. The whole of the automobile industry has shifted now to chase after electric and hybrid vehicles. So hats off to Tesla for making that happen. But there are actually consumers who want to buy an electric car because they don't think it's right to continue polluting the environment. And if you have entrepreneurs who come out with a better product that also delivers positive environmental uh, impact, then uh, consumers are going to go for it. Now, what begins to happen when this if information is widely used, and you should all talk about this information, like transparency on the impact of companies is our right. It's the new human rights. We have a right to know which companies are doing harm and which companies are doing good. And if uh, if uh, you have uh, warning labels on cigarette packets, uh, we can have warning labels on companies, companies that are creating real harm, polluting our water streams, our oceans, and you know, and uh, and our atmosphere. This is not a, um, a, a, a sort of um, a wish now. Uh, this is now inevitable. Why is it inevitable, Jacques Philippe? It's inevitable because as the impact information is shown to affect the value of companies, governments and their regulators have to protect investors, the small investor in particular, They have to make sure that every investor has access to the relevant information to make the right investment decision. They don't want some investors who know how to get to the Harvard Business School site
2: to benefit more than those who don't and aren't even aware of, of, of its existence,
1: right? And so that's why I say the more we speak about it and ask for it, the more we ask questions of companies. About the impact they're creating, uh, like uh, uh, the shareholders' meeting of uh, Procter and Gamble, uh, the U.S.'s forty-second largest company, two-thirds of shareholders voted against management because of the deforestation PNG is creating uh, as a result of its use of palm oil. Okay, we're going to see uh, these rebellions multiply, and we should raise our voices to um, to support them. The more that information circulates, the sooner regulators are going to have to step in and require companies to publish accounts which take impact into account.
0: Now, this is uh, amazing information. I remember the first time you mentioned this to me, and and I think that I'm pretty close to this information. I was still floored and just surprised by the dis- Parity, especially kind of how you described BP, ExxonMobil, and companies that are within the same sector, and you look at them in the same light, but then the negative uh, externalities can be upwards of $20 billion. So hopefully more folks understand the importance of what we're discussing here. Uh, You started to touch upon my next question, and and, I could ask a million questions, but I'm not going to do that. This will be my last question, and then I'm going to have the other co-hosts jump in. So start to think about the questions that you have for Ronnie. We're going to keep them super succinct. So my next question ties into something you started touching upon, right? When you mentioned getting other people involved who may not have access to the Harvard website or certain groups that many of us are involved with. Um, So my fund specifically targets those underrepresented groups, right? Women, people of color, groups that have been largely marginalized. Can you speak more about the correlation between getting more of those disparate groups involved in the conversation and in the action and in investing and building businesses and how that relates uh, to better impact and good for the planet and all of us?
1: So the most powerful way... Uh, for us to get involved uh, is to create ventures which are led uh, by women and by people of colour and which actually disrupt the business models of businesses, sectors that are polluting uh, and uh, discriminating. And I want to give you an example of what that can mean in the venture, because so far, we've talked about re- you know, reducing risk, basically, by avoiding companies like Exxon London. But I want to give you uh, uh, an example
2: of a great impact venture just to illustrate how you can make
1: a real difference. So some of the best entrepreneurs of the, in the world here in in Israel, who sold out their previous business for $15 billion to Intel, uh, in the artificial intelligence area, created a venture called OrCam to help the blind and the visually impaired. There are 35 million blind people in the world and 250 million visually impaired people. And this venture created a pair of spectacles with a little memory stick-like device hanging on the side, which whispers into the ear of the wearer the page of the book they're reading or the newspaper or the banknote in the hand, professionally read, beautifully read, even though that article has never been seen by the wearer uh, before. Now, you'd say, unbelievable, what a great impact venture and you're catering for a market of 300 million people, you, you should really be able to build a fantastic business. And, and they have, uh, they've raised $100 million. The last round was at a $600 million valuation. But if you guys on, on, on this uh, call and, and guys is not uh, defining gender, men and women uh, on this call, put on an impact lens, you'd ask yourself the question, how can this technology help the greatest number of people on the planet? And you get a surprising answer. Uh, The answer is, what if you provided these spectacles to the 800 million illiterate adults in the world? What would they do for their lives and livelihoods to go from being unable to read to reading, in inverted commas, to being able to listen to the page uh, they're holding. And so, all of a sudden, you've defined the market of 1.1 billion people, and you define a business model that uh, caters uh, for you know three times the number, four times the number. so. You can create opportunities because your impact lens uncovers underserved markets, usually at lower price points, which enables you to grow faster and to make more money. At the end of the day, what we're going to discover is that optimizing risk-return impact enables you to make more money than if you just try to make money alone. Delivering good doesn't just enable you to do well, it uh, enables you to do better for the reason that you know, I've just uh, given. So this effort at uh, Harvard is, I think, going to change the whole of our system. We're going to see, just as happened with tech, the business models of an ExxonMobil mobile, completely disrupted by new clean energy companies. We've seen the automobile industry go in in that direction. You're going to see the food industry go in that direction too. We're going to have apps that enable us to know how much environmental damage associated British foods, a British company which makes a brand of tea that you know, that is on our supermarket shelf called uh, Twinings, how much damage it's causing environmentally. And we're going to discover it causes $1.8 billion of damage a year
2: environmentally against $1.6 billion of profit. Am I going to continue
1: buying their product? No. I'm going to go to a company that has a better environmental record. So this really is similar to the change that technology brought when I was in my mid-20s. And you guys are lucky that you're at this stage of your life where you can create a venture that takes impact into account and reshape the world in the same way that uh, your predecessors, young tech entrepreneurs, reshaped it.
0: Thank you, Ronnie. That is such important information, and it's good to uh, hear it from you. So with that, I'm going to open it up to some of the other co-hosts, and we're going to start with the one and only Kate Byrne. The floor is yours, so we'll be looking for a succinct question or comment, and we're going to try to get to as many amazing folks as possible. Go for it, Kate.
3: Super. Thanks, Jacques-Philippe. Ronnie, I'm going to ask more, two quick things. Key to what you're talking about to me is one, education, and how do we ensure that this next generation of asset allocators and asset owners, um, and in this sense, I'm thinking of those who are going to business school, I think there's a crazy stat, like something 89% when they go in, they all want to go save the world, do good figure out a way to make impactful businesses that are also socially conscious. Uh, Then when they come out, not but two years later, 24 months later, that number shrinks to about 29 to 30%. So at some point, love to address education. And then the other is, to me, another form of education is how can we utilize and leverage the power of art and film and storytelling to help people, regardless of age and generation and where they are, see it to believe it. So that's the, okay. those, are, those are my, I plant those two seeds in your mighty mind.
1: Uh-huh. Thank you, Kate. Wonderful to be on the webinar or I guess a, a call today um, uh, together again. Yes, I know. Um, Love it. Uh, so education. Uh, things are changing. Uh, so in, I've been doing webinars, as you know, in many, many business schools across the US and across the world, the attendance is unbelievable. It turns out, uh, I would say today that uh, more than 50% of students are following impact courses, impact investment, impact management, impact entrepreneurship, and so on and so forth. Faculties are beginning to change, are beginning to change their views. But in the same way that tech wasn't really taught, tech came from entrepreneurs who led the way, and when their success became so visible that nobody could dispute it, then you found uh, education beginning to get on board, and uh, you began to see courses on entrepreneurship and, you know, and so on and, and so forth. So. Clearly, if we can spread the message in the way that you're doing through SOCAP, uh, that uh, begins to create more momentum among impact entrepreneurs and uh, begins to create the visibility that we all need. We need the Bill Gateses and the Steve Jobses of the impact uh, entrepreneurship field. You know my my line that uh, an impact unicorn is one uh, that uh, doesn't just uh, become worth uh, a, a billion dollars; uh, it also improves the lives of a billion people. You know that's the proposition uh, that uh, this uh, generation uh, of, uh, of, of listeners um, is going to bring is going to bring about. I couldn't agree more, though, that there may be innovative ways uh, through different platforms to begin to spread the word about uh, impact entrepreneurship and and impact investment. Uh, I think impact investment has gathered a lot of momentum in the last couple of years, since uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock sent out his famous letter at the beginning of 2018. It's now a huge uh, river uh, from, from a small stream, you know, just a decade uh, ago. Uh, I too have seen uh, the figure of 40 trillion uh, mentioned uh, here and there. I haven't read the, the report, and uh, so I'm uh, very keen to to do that, uh, Jacques-Philippe. Uh, Jacques so if we're at 40 trillion, I mean, that, that's a massive increase on the 30 trillion of um, 2018. Now, as to art, film, and storytelling, funnily enough, I just wrote a, a foreword for uh, an effort around the creative industries and how we bring impact investment to the creative industries because storytelling, and film, and art are very powerful ways of reflecting these changes. And you can already see uh, artists like uh, the French artist uh, JR and you know and others, um, who are basically bringing the social issues that are hidden uh, very often deep uh, within our cities, and pasting them in the form of photographs on you know on uh, uh, building um, building walls,
2: the opportunity to uh, channel
1: uh, money. Is being picked up uh, by different um, uh, creative arts entrepreneurs and and investors. There isn't a there isn't a clear model yet for it. I think uh, the existing thinking is it's a bit like venture capital backing uh, you know a normal business, but this time you're doing it in the creative in the creative industries, but. I think that we may be able to use culture impact bonds, pay for success forms of, of of funding, in you know in this area. And I've been thinking and working with a number of people around it. So happy to stay in touch on this. Okay. I would love to
3: learn more about that. I just think it's I think it's so important. And we uh, just the other week, Jacques Philippe and I, we were involved in a great conversation here on Clubhouse some of the folks who are here, too, regarding the possibility of could we ever make film uh, uh, an asset class?
0: Yeah, no, I think this is great. Uh, Thanks for raising those topics, Kate. And I like how Ronnie's just dropped the idea of a a culture impact bond. You know, I hadn't heard that before. Is that something that you've been working on? Is that common knowledge? And I'm just outside the loop. I know the social impact bonds. I know the development bonds. But now we have the culture impact bonds. And you know, to your point, Kate, uh, all the folks who are on that call, and actually many folks below who are actors, producers, directors, or I've had conversations with, uh, I think uh, they're very excited about that. Next up is the one and only Bahia Robinson of VC Include. Take it away.
4: I mean, there's a lot here. Obviously, as Jacques Philippe said, we could talk for literally hours. Um, you know, what's coming up for me, and particularly when you were talking about the cultural impact bonds, there's been so many artificial limits, right, in the past on people and planets' ability to self-peel and drive abundance at scale, right? And the driving abundance at scale um, is is really critical now that we have, you know, we're seeing all of these trends, the $40 trillion earmarked. So, for me, I mean, I started... A, a platform called VC include a few years ago, and it's the largest global platform of best in class women led and diverse fund managers in impact investing and venture capital. And I did it because of the accelerate to, to try to accelerate and amplify investment into diverse founders and women at scale, right? Because it just wasn't kind of connecting in a, in a way that we were seeing and even this year in 2020, less um, capital has been uh, invested in women-led founders. And, you know, there's a lot going on there. So my question, um, Sir Ronnie, is really around this acceleration, um, not necessarily at the founder level, but coming from the top down, right? Like, you know, I deal with LPs and GPs. That's what, you know, that's what the work is for me for that acceleration pace. How can we influence LPs, do you think? What's your opinion um, to really, you know, create not just the environmental investments, but that S and ESG? How, how do we continue to accelerate and amplify that? Because I really think that is where we're going to find some parity, you know, gender, racial, and even just the impact, social impact parity um, in the next two to four years. So I think
1: what we have to show is that we are capable of delivering equivalent or even improved returns by backing women entrepreneurs and people of color. In the early days of venture capital, when uh, the track record hadn't been established, there were some investment managers. Uh, One in particular uh, was uh, called Tom Judge of the AT&T Pension Fund. And he just thought, that uh, this new technology gig was really going to work, and that backing young entrepreneurs uh, was going to be the way to deliver great returns. Now, when people asked Tom Judge uh, for uh, reasons why he was investing in these new venture capital funds, can, you know, he said, look, I can't prove it's going to work, but I have faith that it's going to work. Mm. And I think we're at the same stage today, and we should have been a lot further along yeah. uh, in backing um, uh, women and, and people of, of color with entrepreneurship, because as, as we all know, uh, talent is uh, evenly distributed across yes. the whole of our planet. Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, the returns are going to be there. So what do we need to do? I think the raising impact money up until now has been difficult. Right. The reason is that if you go to somebody in a pension fund who has a venture capital allocation, they say to you, oh, I'm not so sure now whether going for impact isn't going to deliver a lower return. Right. Okay. And so Wait till I have an impact allocation. What's happening now is we're getting impact allocations. Exactly. So the Ford Foundation's got a billion dollar, uh, uh, you know, out of its endowment allocated to ESG and impact. And I think networks like the one that you've, you know, that you've uh, created, that attract able women. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Best in class. Best in class, exactly. (laughs) It's absolutely the way to go. You're going to get, in my view, a following wind um, uh, in the next year or two because we're going to find pension funds, asset managers and others having to fill percentages that have been allocated to impact that's what their clients and pension savers um, are asking them to do. So I think we, uh, we have to redouble our efforts. And we have to persevere. And we have to push uh, for allocations. So if, you're, if you have a pension plan, or your parents have pension plans on this call, um, they should be or you should be writing on their behalf to their investment managers asking them for what allocations do they have to impact and to ESG. But uh, you're on on the right side of the trend.
4: Well, thank you, (laughs) Sirani.
0: Now, all I would say is how do we bottle that and make sure everybody understands? You know, it's one thing when I say it, but someone who's been in the space for so long, who understands how to transform, I think uh, this is so critical. Thank you, Ronnie. With that... We're going to move on to the multi-talented technologist, investor, innovator, artist, Samantha Rose Stein.
5: Hi, thank you. And thank you, Sir Arnold Cohn. My question, I think, is pretty simple. It's if you were to give one piece of advice to people who are thinking about how they can think about their future and the impact they can make on the world, what would that advice be for shaping their career? What question do they need to ask themselves
4: as a guiding question?
1: Well, I think I, I think like everything else in life, you have to ask yourself the question, uh, what is it that I'm suited to be uh, most uh, successful at? That usually turns out to be the most fulfilling thing. Uh, if you want to be an investor, then today you have the opportunity to do what I was lucky to do, which is at the age of 26, to notice that something major was changing with technology, that a new way of investing called venture capital was just the beginning to appear. And I felt, wow, I'm I'm passionate about doing that, backing young people to bring about new technologies and make money at the same time, which I needed to make because my family came as refugees from Egypt when I was 11 years old. I was always aware I'd have to look after my parents when, you know, they got to retirement age. Wow, I said, you know, that's great. That's for me. And it's not always an easy road. It took us uh, 10 years uh, from our start to raising our first fund. We were doing deals on a deal-by-deal basis and raising... Money on a deal by deal basis. And then there was a big break. The rules changed in the USA. All of a sudden, pension funds of big companies had to explain why they weren't investing in venture capital if they weren't, you know? And so it, the sums of money grew and our firm grew. And uh, as uh, Jacques Philippe said, today it manages more than $50 billion. Uh, but our first fund, europe in 1981 was 10 million pounds which would have been 15 million dollars then the biggest fund today that Apex has raised over 11 billion so as i went through my career there were ups and downs there were big challenges to me but i always kept asking myself am i on the right path like is this path of venture capital the right path And if the answer is yes, well, then you keep going. And if uh, the answer comes back, well, the way we're doing it isn't absolutely right, then you pivot, you tweak it, you do it differently. But you stay on the same path, and perseverance is is, is really the key. So I think if if you want to be an investor, you ask yourself today, do I want to be in venture capital? Do I want to be in private equity? Do I want to be in public securities? But in every case, the answer is it's impact. Impact VC, impact private equity, impact public stocks or whatever. If you want to be an entrepreneur, the advice I gave in my first book after I left Apex was start young, think big, stick with it. Okay? Today, I would add to that Find a problem you're passionate about solving, that you want to devote your efforts and your career to solving. And define a business model that enables you, the more you improve people's lives on the planet, the more money you make. Like Elon Musk has done, like Orcam is doing. And then if you want to work for a big company, pick a company, whose mission you share. A company that's trying to improve the world, not just to make money and ignore all the damage that that it causes. So it's just a way of illustrating that uh, the question you should be asking yourselves is where's the impact I'm gonna make?
0: Thank you, uh, Samantha, for the question and Ronnie for the answer. And what I would say there is for me, the most beautiful part of the answer is that it really hinges hinges on the concept of authenticity. So, Ronnie didn't say, do what I do or do impact investing, do ASG. He started off with, you know, be mindful. Where are your thoughts, actions, and spirit? Make sure they're aligned and do that because you will be amazing at that. Um, so, um, you know, I couldn't uh, agree more. With that, we're going to move on. Uh, to our next guest uh, who's the founder of female Coalition. i've been a, a huge fan of theirs for so long uh shelly zalis the floor is yours
6: well first of all i am so inspired to be part of this incredible conversation mainly because what bothers me the most is we talk about the problems but we lack the measurements. And the accountability and the solutions for change, and this is an action-oriented, impactful conversation. Um, I run the largest global community of women in the workplace. We unite the world to the power of women in over 100 countries. And just listening to the conversation about impact, where is the impact? And thinking about purpose and passion, which I think makes us all you know, incredibly unstoppable. Sir Ronnie, thank you for your words of inspiration. Uh, when we talk about impact, we talk about ROI all the time, return on investment. And what you are sharing is ROI, return on impact, will drive the return on investment. And so my comment, my thoughts, um, Adina Friedman from NASDAQ, um, just created a very important message, the CEO of Nasdaq, saying diversify or delist. And when you talked about the warning labels for companies, I think you know this is just where we need to go, is creating the roadmap for, for action and changing the equation. When you look at investing in marginalized communities, less than 4% of investment money goes to women and less than 1% to women of color. And so my question, Sir Ronnie, with all that you are doing is, what can we do? I don't think it's that complicated. According to the World Economic Forum, it'll take over 257 years to close the pay gap and over 120 years to close the C-suite gap. So what can we do that is action-oriented? very simply as low hanging fruit. I know that the systemic changes are quite enormous, but can you please suggest a couple of action steps that each and every one of us can take to start closing these gaps? And I'm hoping that we can close them within five years. Why are we waiting so long uh, for legacy to you know, create the changes? We know that's not gonna happen.
1: So I, I, I think if you uh, look at what happened, in the tech revolution, Uh, as I say in my book, uh, which Jacques Philippe mentioned, Impact. um, The tech revolution happened because the world was changing, technology had advanced, and there were young people who had a vision for where the world should be, really. Uh, And, you know, they created the companies which created 60 million new jobs in the United States. You know, in the space of of two or three decades, some of them rose to be the biggest companies in the world uh, in in the space of uh, two or three decades again. So what I say in the book is this impact revolution. Is going to be a similar revolution to the tech revolution it's going to be driven by young people they're going to drive it as consumers as entrepreneurs as employees in 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 companies okay now what we've discovered in the case of uh of of impact is that the trigger for it is, as you were saying, measurement, right? If we can measure gender inequality, if we can show that uh, some companies are just systematically falling behind their competitors in terms of gender equality, meaning not just the numbers of people but the pay levels, the advancement in companies which we're measuring in the Harvard effort, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen is every one of us is going to be pushing as uh, uh, investors, as employees, uh, as journalists, as uh, authors, uh, as uh, filmmakers, every one of us is going to be pushing to expose these companies that are falling behind and that's how we're going to change the world if we don't measure it we don't harness the power of consumers and investors in the way that and employees of course in the way that we need to like if you don't know that uh, the diversity of apple is a uh, four or five times worse than the diversity of Costco. It's very difficult for you to know what to do. But when you know that, then you can begin to write to your friends who are managing uh, pension funds and uh, who are working for insurance companies in the investment department, who are working in hedge funds and in uh, you know, other places in the financial system and make them aware of it and say, you know what? Apple really needs to get its act together. So I think the key to it is we've got to stop buying the products of companies who's, you know, who are not doing the right thing. I'm not suggesting that Apple isn't capable of changing its, its ways, but ExxonMobil keeps wanting to double up on its investment in fossil fuels. Well, okay, well, we're not going to buy, not that we're in a position to uh, to choose very often, uh, but we're not going to buy its product. We're not going to invest in, in, in its shares. The big power here now is the power of investors and investors are making declarations from every corner of the globe about how the future as I say in the book, is risk-return-impact. Our whole system, if we want to tackle our social issues and our environmental issues, effectively, our whole system has to change from just making money and forgetting about the damage we cause to making money and bringing solutions to the challenges we face. This notion that transparency is the new human right We have the right to know the good and the harm that companies are creating. That is a message which, if we can all amplify it, is going to accelerate the efforts of of regulators to actually bring this uh, impact transparency which is the trigger for, you know, for really global change.
6: So, Ronnie, I want to add um, very quickly, Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever, he says you can't treasure what you can't measure. And I think that, you know, that whole measurement of accountability goes beyond pledges and petitions, which is what you say you're going to do, but it's actually holding people accountable for walking the talk and moving in that direction. So thank you so much for amplifying that.
0: Wonderful, thank you. Thank you, Shelby, and thank you, Ronnie. What I would mention here is sometimes something is just so good that it creates challenges. So I think, I don't know if people realize, but it's been an hour, (laughs) a little more than an hour. And so we essentially have 20 more minutes to pack in as much goodness as possible. And so what I'm going to suggest is I want to get through, I want to get 13 to 15 more people I know who contacted us ahead of time who have amazing ideas and things they want to share. So I want to do all of that. And so what that means is I'd like the comments to be truncated 30 seconds. And I'd like the responses, Ronnie, if possible to be tight as well. And so that way we can get in uh, as many of these folks as possible, because I know they 've been looking forward to it, and i 'm getting dms and so it 's very exciting and i 'm not going to speak as much in between comments either, okay, so with that in mind, Nicole, the floor is yours
7: well, thank you thank you j p for doing this um, you know taking this time and, and- organizing everything so well. Um, Ronnie, it's nice to see you again. We actually had a really lovely talk back at Summit at Sea 2011 on the boat. I think it was like the first or second night
2: yeah. about yeah.
7: where, where some of this was going. And at the time, I was at Founders Fund, which I think is very founder-friendly still. And they have been working towards this. But actually, I started working with Maylin and Vint Surf this year. And it's really allowed me a uh, chance to utilize in technology people and planet first. And the resources you've provided are amazing and and many of the things that have been brought up today, but on a global scale for ratings and testings, is there anything that she should be keeping an eye on right now and watching that's on the come up? Um, Because I believe in the next 10 years, a lot of these tools are quietly being developed and getting ahead of them to be aware of them would be great.
1: A rating of test and testing of impact?
7: Yes, yes, yeah. for
1: companies. Uh, yeah. So I, I think uh, I'll, I'll be brief. We started off with rating, but rating is a very blunt instrument. Um, you know, if somebody is uh, in the top uh, 10% uh, for environmental uh, damage in a positive sense, so low environmental damage. Uh, and they're in the bottom 10% for employment impact. Uh, how, how do you reconcile the two? You can't do it, right? You need to have a unit that enables you um, to to measure these two, and then if their product is creating environmental damage and they're halfway down the list, you, know, you need to be able to bring that into account as well. We have to go to monetization. The best thing that you can do is to get Maylin to read the book to read the bid on impact-weighted accounts and to internalize this, this point, that if we don't measure and compare easily, then investors aren't gonna be able to use these tools effectively.
0: Wonderful, thank you. Next up, Anu Bardwaj.
5: Hi, JP, thank you so much for bringing me on and, and thank you Sir Rani for, for joining us today. Um, I wanted to bring to your attention a new tool that we've developed over the pandemic that's going. That's designed to measure and track uh, how women listen and learn. And we're also going to be rewarding them with uh, digital assets in the future. So it's a transformative technology uh, that's going to give us more data. And the world is hungry for this data right now. And once we start to understand what, what the problem is, I, I believe that all of us are able to come together in terms of impact. And this was directed to you as well, Bahia, um, from your comments earlier that, you know, in terms of what investors are looking for, I think that hard data is is clearly missing from women of color, especially. And so we have reached out to the Islamic Development Bank and just won a major, major grant um, for, for our solution that's going to take us across Africa, the Middle East, um, South and Southeast Asia. And so in terms of women of color and diversity, I think this is an important um, aspect because of that S that Bahia mentioned and ESG. We really need to come up with our own innovations, addressing our own uh, communities. And I think in the future, going forward, what you mentioned is that uh, we are going to see a lot more that's driven in this space. So thank you for that. And also, if you have any, um, if you have any outstanding organizations that you might want to comment on that are, are addressing the S and the ESG, that would be great to know.
1: So uh, you should be in touch uh, with an unbelievable woman called Dr. Amal Kabul, K-A-R-B-O-U-L, who heads up the Education Outcomes Fund. This is a billion dollar effort focused on men and women, but um, uh, the women part of the equation is the highest priority, aiming to help 10 million uh, young people to learn better in Africa and the Middle East.
8: Thank you. Jacques, this is Kevin McGovern. If you don't mind, I'd just like to make one comment. Yeah. Ronnie, thank you so much for that really impressive talk and we've learned a lot today. But I have to tell you that I, 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 my career I've gone through the base of the pyramid protocol, ESG, triple net, lots of numbers and lots of lots of well meaning, wonderful people. And you know, what I really think is, is, is just as much needed, believe it or not is accountability in the ESG community itself. You know, I often say to people, being a venture capitalist myself, sort of a serial entrepreneur, you know, if the ESG community and the impact community would do the same amount of due diligence on the investments they're making on, in their own sector to find out who is doing it most efficiently, I think we'd go a lot longer way in attracting even more impactful dollars. So I urge all of us to look at those who really go to know. In the water business, you know, I often say to people, if you drill a well, do you test the water? Do you make sure it's not causing cancer with too much arsenic or whatever? And I think the impact community has to look at itself introspectively as well as outside to really, really have the merits long term. Sometimes getting too much money is a bad thing when we become inefficient. And I just urge everyone on this call to look at this industry, look at our ESG, and be much more impactful and accountable to ourselves as well. Yeah, The only thing I'd say, Kevin, you can't
1: hold people accountable if you don't know what the harm or good they're doing. You've got to have measurement. ESG, the ESG community, all 30 or 40 trillion of it, is crying out for the tools to make better decisions. You can't make better decisions on the basis of paragraphs in reports, which don't enable you to make comparisons with others. So I totally agree with you. Transparency is a prerequisite for accountability.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Kevin, for your intervention. Thank you, Ronnie. Next up, we have Desiree Bell. The floor is yours.
4: Thank you so much, JP. Thank you, Sir Ronnie, for being here. This is one of the highlights of my Saturday. I am, I've spent most of my career um, trying to find creative, innovative solutions for complex urban problems, working with some amazing world leaders and national leaders from, you know, Mike Bloomberg, Cory Booker, President Barack Obama to uh, Pope Francis. Um, My question is, is the emergence of using impact as a component of success for a company dependent on shared definition of how to measure impact and the adoption of those standards across companies and industries i'm curious about your opinion on that
1: so i think the only way we're gonna get there desiree is if uh, governments mandate impact transparency through impact weighted accounts now i have written that we're at a historic crossroads like the 30s. In the 30s, in 1933, the US passed uh, securities uh, legislation to bring in a single set of accounting principles, gap accounting, as it's now called, generally accepted accounting principles, and the use of auditors. Why? Because investors didn't have transparency on the profit that companies were making. Each company picked its own accounting principles. Nobody verified the numbers. After the great crash, investors clamored for it. And people argued it would be the end of American capitalism. And of course, it's been the foundation for the deep and broad uh, financial markets we have. We're at the same crossroad with regard to impact transparency this time. We can't have Each company picking its own rules for declaring its own impact, leaving out the harm they do and talking about the good they do, right? We need to have something that is easily compared, and that, for me, is bringing it to monetary terms. So pushing for this regulation now is is what I'm putting most of my effort in.
0: And thank you, Ronnie, and, and thank you for that question, Desiree. Next up is uh, my dear friend and business partner, Leia Bites, and I'm going to do something she would never do, which is tell you guys a little bit more about her. So she's been a longtime investor. She was a partner at North Zone before being our partner at Ozone. And of the six deals she either selected or uh, backed as a partner, three of them have either sold for 500 or 600 million or 2.2 billion. And so I don't know many people who kind of have that track record and she would never do that herself. So I wanted to put it out there. So you understand kind of how rare she is in a very male dominated uh, industry. The floor is yours, Leah. Thank you. Thank you, Um,
9: um, (coughs) Jacques-Philippe. First of all, Thank, you, thank you for <laughs> speaking on my behalf. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed, uh, and really delighted to be here. Uh, what an amazing talk! What
6: a, what an amazing time to be alive and really uh, be able to move the needle in the, in the right direction. Um, I love where you were just going with the role of governments and regulations to enable necessary progress. And I would love to dig a little bit deeper on that point and see what could. Governments in the U.S. and Europe do
9: today to expedite this process.
1: So I, I think the Biden administration should now mandate that, starting two years from now, every company must publish impact-weighted accounts. I think if you know if they do that, that will bring. Race to the top among companies to get their acts in order on gender, on race, on environment, uh, and so on. It's the biggest thing they could do, and they would lead uh, the world. In, you know, in in doing that. So anything that you can do to amplify uh, that message um, would be extremely, extremely valuable. Now. I think uh, it's going to have to go in the direction of a a minimum wage uh, as well. Uh, And I hope that uh, they're going to give a big boost to the creation of small, uh, medium-sized and growth businesses. Because big businesses are not going to be recruiting people back in the way that
2: um, a lot of people hope they've learned to operate on a slimmed down basis, uh, and uh, they're going to continue. So the administration is
1: going to have to create jobs. And so if we can begin to introduce the notion of impact here, that you can access money through the Small Business Administration or through uh, support of uh, new venture capital funds and so on, providing they have an impact dimension, either as a Benefit (coughs) Corp or as a B Corp, that will really begin to move uh, the needle. If we can get a new generation of of small, medium-sized and growth businesses that espouse impact, build it into their business models, that would be huge.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that. Next, we're going to bring back up Mei-Lin, who was not around earlier. Mei-Lin, the floor is yours. I
10: have a suggestion based on what just was spoken. So I um, uh, helped invent CRM, the Customer Relationship Management, and that was actually addressing a particular problem, which is Oracle is selling to the Fortune 500, and they wanted to sell to SMEs. I think we can take the idea of pipeline for SMEs and encourage um, uh, impact-weighted accounts. But I have a further suggestion that, that calls on what both Leah and Desiree spoke about earlier. In the Depression, uh, people were trying to encourage home ownership, and Fannie Mae was created which provided loan guarantees for homeowners that hugely multiplied the funds available for home ownership and Fannie Mae is essentially profitable. We could actually create a global utility um, along the lines of the ad group that helps give credit lines to successful impact-weighted account companies. And I just wondered what you thought of that, um, uh, Ronnie. I
1: I think you're exactly on the right uh, track, May-Lynn. And in fact, there's a very big effort being made in the UK around housing um, uh, at the moment. Um, how, how do you bring about affordable housing? How do you raise investment to enable people to have variable share ownership according to their means and to keep increasing it um, as, uh, as uh, their means um, improve? I'm very intrigued by your idea of using a CRM or, or similar approaches to try to spread the idea of impact-weighted uh, accounts. So how, how would you go about doing that?
10: I, I've actually already begun, so I chair in the IEEE, a working group for having that kind of thesaurus for social impact measurement. So. The standardization of social impact measurement is is, is I'm completely in line with you on that. With that, we could actually take advantage of the loan guarantees that are happening around the world post-COVID to help bring small, medium-sized enterprises back on track or encourage new ones. And the encouragement should be for those with good impact-weighted accounts. And so that's how I go about doing that.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think governments everywhere are in a stronger position than they realize in demanding that businesses introduce impact-weighted accounts. Um, And and a lot of the conversations I've been having uh, at government level um, in in a few countries uh, have centered on this. Governments are loath to make requirements of companies. But actually, they need to bring companies alongside in coming out of COVID, because they're going to have less money than they ever had governments, their budgets are going to be heavily constrained, the social um, challenges they face are going to be hugely magnified. And the environmental damage continues to mount. So the only way for governments to come out of this uh, situation in somewhat better shape is to get companies and the investors who invest in them to begin to help tackle these social and environmental challenges. Um, And businesses, I think, don't have any choice today. But to do that, uh, the cost to them is not going to be huge of preparing impact-weighted accounts. As I mentioned, a lot of them are already publishing information about tons of CO2 and so on. The monetization is going to happen in the accounting firms, um, so I agree with you. I I think we have to tie uh, the help the governments are giving to the publication of impact rated accounts.
0: We are pushing towards the end, and like as promised, I really want to uh, get input from as many folks as possible. We're going to do a, a serious lightning round here, and so. Uh, these folks, I'd like you each uh, to mention your question or comment, and then afterward, uh, Ronnie will respond, okay? And so we're going to start with Georgie Bernadette, who's doing some amazing stuff in forestry. We're going to have Ida Fallbacken, who leads the Catapult Fest uh, organization out of Norway and Costa Rica. Captain Planet, Stefan Nicolo. Aisha Vera you, fellow YGO of the World Economic Forum, and our one and only Ed Nussbaum. And so if each of you can make your statement or question super succinct, and then we're going to have Ronnie respond, because I know Ronnie has a hard stop, and I just want to make sure folks who had something they wanted to mention had the opportunity to do so. So Georgie, go for it.
9: Hey, Jacques Philippe, thank you. And um, um, Ronnie, I hope you find yourself to stay around. I think this has been fundamental conversation. You know, I love what you're doing, obviously, in reimagining the rules of a system right? And that's essential uh, for the future, particularly for companies that are already trying to find their way into impact. Uh, I I run a team in investing markets, connected, connecting private wealth investors into opportunities aligned with the SDGs. Um, What I have found myself is knowing that we cannot wait, you know, until those who benefit from this system to give us the solutions and to, you know, to, to find the path forward. So I have found, um, that there are solutions that are being ignored, and one of them uh, has to do with ecosystem restoration. Um, As you know, the the next decade is uh, the the UN decade of ecosystem restoration. So what I've been doing, I partnered with MPX advisors, who I believe you know, and with the World Economic Forum, and we're launching a 100 million restoration fund. It's a debt product that actually has extremely measurable impact, and uh, the debt is not repaid back from the NGOs unless the impact is being realized. As you know, every forestry, uh, you know, or solving the forestry situation, the one trillion tree challenge will bring, you know, will collectively support one third of emission reductions of CO2. Um, So I know that numbers are essential Metrics are essential, obviously, but we cannot forget also the heart. And I have found that the only thing that actually inspires people is to understand what are we dreaming about? What's the world that we're dreaming about? So through the one three trillion challenge and with the World Economic Forum, we're hoping to find a solution that again, that is liquid, financial, profitable, and impactful in something that is so meaningful for the world right now. So, what are your thoughts, and what are you doing, or who do you think would be the allies in this new decade of ecosystem
0: restoration? Thank you, Georgie. Amazing uh, comment and question. Uh, next, Ida, fall back in, please.
10: Okay, thank you, Jack. Uh, hi, Sir uh, Ronald. I'm um, from Norway, and we have an oil fund, which is one of the largest funds in the world. Uh, I'm not sure if you're already in connection with them or advising them. I would love for you to, to, or at least some of your thoughts reaching uh, the work that they're doing. We just got a new CEO. Uh, If you would give him a couple of advice going forward, uh, what would that be? Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ida. Appreciate it. Next, uh, Captain Planet.
9: Thank you, Jacques-Philippe. And thank you, Ronnie. I'm a software developer creating a marketplace for water. And this past week we saw Bloomberg report that water started trading on the future exchanges um, as water becomes even more scarce as a hedge for farmers and corporations alike. Um, The UN's first special repertoire on water um, said that water is a human right and it should have a price um, in order to ensure that it's a human right for all. What is your belief about water having a price to ensure that it remains a human right um, and uh, in terms of fixing its, uh, its uh, status as a missed price resource? Thank you.
0: Thank you, Captain. Uh, next, uh, Stefan Nicolo
11: Thanks, Uh, Jacques-Philippe. Sarani, thank you for uh, all of your work and for this conversation. Um, I've got 100 questions, but I'm going to ask the the one that I think is uh, quickest. Um, You know, my firm, Full Cycle, accelerates technology solutions for the climate crisis. I think what we've discussed here today is that we see an acceleration of capital, not just into impact, but into climate uh, critical infrastructure, climate and sustainability as an asset class. Um, But then at the same time, you know, we see a lot of... uh, institutional investor groups putting out pledges for things like net zero by 2050. And I wonder if we are not accelerating our ambition in the way that we should be in order to have shorter timeframes where we can realistically have an impact on the crisis as it comes to us. And, yep. and you know, if we if we um, are not being ambitious enough in, in these pledges when it matters as, as institutional capital lines up for, for climate. Yep.
0: Thank you, Stefan. Next up, Aisha Verayu and Jerry. So
6: this is Aisha I'm here with my co-founder, Jerry. We um, are both ex-bankers and uh, now actually solve hunger in just five weeks at $55 per family. Um, so, Ronnie, we wanted to ask you about uh, the comment on regulations, and I'll let Jerry speak more about that.
11: Yeah. Hi, Ronnie. Sorry. Just from a U.S. point of view, we were kind of I guess we wanted to challenge the idea of predicating the idea of um, institutionalizing um, impact-weighted accounts, um, you know, based on a regulatory change. And is there not a, a sort of a private sector model that's, that's more likely to be uh, more readily adopted? Because at least our own personal view is if we wait for a regulatory change uh, or, or regulations to institute it, is that, is that really going to happen in, in the U.S. Uh, political environment and, you know, in the foreseeable future? Or is there is there maybe a rating agency model that's more that's more impactful? So, Georgie, I mean, I totally agree uh, with the importance of uh, of, uh, reforestation.
1: I think it's great that you've got your hundred million dollar fund going on a pay for success uh, basis. In terms of allies, I think probably your best allies are going to be pension funds. Uh, the pension funds of Scandinavian countries, perhaps if I can link it um, to Ida's um, uh, comment about uh, the oil fund. Uh, The Norway oil fund should be making a huge allocation to ESG uh, and to impact investments. And if you can connect me with them, I'm not in touch with them. I've seen that the new CEO has been um, appointed, but I'm not uh, familiar with, uh, with the person, so uh, okay. I would appreciate that. Um, wonderful. I, I'll reach
9: out. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. You. So, you know, I, 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 would,
1: uh, I would think that um, you're going to have to, like uh, every fundraising, it, it, it takes uh, a year or more and it's hard work, uh, but I think you're going uh, in the right direction and you'll find demand for your fund. Captain Planet, to- totally agree with your comment about water. In fact, one one piece of advice: go buy the e version of my book if you can't afford to buy the hardback. I've dropped the price to ninety nine cents in the UK, in the US. Okay, so you can get the book for ninety nine cents. You'll see, I make a comparison between Coca Cola and Pepsi Cola's use of water. Water is a crucially, uh, like the bottom line is Coca-Cola, if I remember rightly, uses four times as much water as Pepsi-Cola, even though Pepsi-Cola has twice the sales of Coca-Cola. Here too, we need transparency. Now, can a water market work? The carbon market, I just attended a webinar and spoke at it. The carbon market is needing a huge revamp just uh, make, make sure you learn all the lessons from the carbon market to make sure that the, that the water market works. But uh, certainly a price for water would be a great uh, help. On the question of timeframes, 2050 is too far away. The only reason we've got to 2050 is we're trying to do everything through consensus with companies. It doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, We have to go. I think we can get most of this done within this decade. Uh, That's why I'm pushing for regulation now, which brings me to the last point. We are using the private sector to push government. So the more companies, the more investment groups use the Harvard data and other similar data the greater the pressure is going to be on governments through their regulators to make it mandatory that every company uses the same impact accounting principles and that these numbers are audited. The problem with trying to do it without government is we don't have, even investors, don't have the power today to get together and to establish uh, an accounting board and then to get companies to use the accounting principles that that accounting board establishes. So we're not waiting for government. That's the reason for the Harvard effort. Big investment groups are beginning to use this information. The more they use this information, the less fair our financial markets are going to be, the greater pressure on regulators to step in and make sure that every investor uh, has access to this information. With that, I have to leave you. Uh, thank you very much for you know, for joining uh, this conversation. It's been absolutely great.
0: And uh, as I like to say, onwards and upwards. Absolutely. Thank you kindly for being so generous with your time, Ronnie. Thank you. And one last thing I'd like thank to you. mention to everyone who's here, is Ronnie has been so thoughtful and generous with his time. And I'd like to do something that, you know, he probably wouldn't do on his own, which is really encourage everyone to go out and get the book for yourselves, your friends, family, employees. You know, I see it as something that will not only help us, but also help the planet. I actually just tweeted about this. Uh, My handle, at Jacques Piverger, is on my profile. Let's create a Twitter storm out there and really encourage folks Uh, to be supportive of Ronnie, the information that's in there. And I think, you know, it's needless to say that when things are really good, we just want so much more. Um, And clearly we could go on forever, but we don't have that luxury. So thank you again, kindly, uh, Ronnie, and um, enjoy the rest of your evening um, in Israel. And for those who are still here, we will close out with uh, music as we always do.
1: And all I want to add to what you've said, Jack Philippe, and thank you for the for the plug, is all royalties are going to impact charities. So, spread the word. Thank you very much. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. To stay connected to Ozone X and become part of a purpose-driven community, please visit www.ozonex.vc. Backslash experts. Use code podcast 2021 to waive all fees. Enjoy and until next time.